I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finder Test Construction. We are super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. Just an amazing team and company over there at Sub-Zero Wolf. Uh, so grateful to work with them on all of our projects. Amazing product line. Our customers love it. And great communication, great service. Top-notch all the way around. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Co. showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibility of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Co. showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. It is just a few blocks from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliance might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products, turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Co. showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www.subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom. Today on the podcast, we welcome Stephen Glaze, who is the VP of Sales at Smart Exteriors. And Stephen is an expert in the exterior home remodeling industry. He started his business working as an assistant at his father's roofing company and at the age of 16 was estimating projects and managing crews. Today, Steve serves as the Vice President of Sales for Smart Exteriors, an award-winning home improvement company serving the greater Kansas City metro area. He works tirelessly to find the best exterior products and to educate homeowners on the best options for their goals and budgets. In fact, he is also an author. He recently wrote a homeowner's guide for siting that is now available on Amazon. One of the reasons we brought Stephen on is that he really is an expert in regard to marketing and blogs and using reviews to build your business. And we spoke heavily about what sites are the best for reviews and what we should focus on as a company. We also spoke about how to get the best organic reach to market your firm. And then, of course, having worked through many recessions, Stephen talks about ways to position your firm to be prepared for the recession, um, especially with construction and design where the market goes up and down. And we need to be prepared for those downturns, and, and he gives good advice how to do so. And then he also spoke heavily about know what you're good at, understand uh, job minimums, and whether you're architect, design, or builder, you know, that design uh, or, or the scope minimum is something we should really focus on because that will allow us to be successful as a company. And it's not that jobs are beneath us, it's more understanding what we're good at that'll be a good benefit for the customer and ourselves. So you'll definitely enjoy this as well as some of the trends that Stephen has seen in the industry that are upcoming. So welcome today to Construction Podcast today, and we are joined by Stephen Glaze, who's VP of Smart Exteriors. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Well, Stephen has a lot of experience, and we're going to dive into some important questions that all of us are dealing with right now in the market, you know, with COVID, with pricing, lumber hikes. I mean, all these things I know you have good experience on throughout your career, Stephen. So so let me ask you this. You know, you're an expert in exterior construction. Um, how has COVID, you know, affected sales, marketing, and then, of course, just the installation for you right now? So at first, I mean, we got, it was, must've been March. We've got the call that, you know, we were like on lockdown. Right. And we weren't sure how to, I was actually getting ready to start a large project. Uh, had materials getting ready to be delivered. We weren't really sure what to do. Then it kind of came out that, you know, construction is essential and we were allowed to work, but then I wasn't sure like, you know, what about the suppliers? Are they going to be at work and will I be able to go get materials if I'm short on a job. And so it took about a, a week to kind of figure out how we were going to respond. And, you know, everybody was all in, uh, the, you know, the workers were, were in, they wanted to do work. Uh, the suppliers said, yeah, we'll be here for you. We might, might be a little shorthanded, you know, or something like that, but we'll definitely be open and get materials. And so we moved forward. And to my surprise, we've had, uh, the phone just kept ringing and we've actually had sales wise, our numbers are better this time this year than they were last year. So we've done really well. Um, I don't know if it's just people being at home and, you know, having, uh, you know, time to deal with it and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's not just us. I think it's, you know, industry wide. I think everything is up from what I hear. So sales wise, um, hasn't been an issue. We just move straight forward. Um, yeah, but let me ask you this, because what's interesting, um, you, you know, and without diving into all the specifics, because there's so much to it, but, you know, right now, you know, interest rates are low. So a lot of people are remodeling. A lot of people are purchasing, you know, a lot of people maybe aren't taking the vacations they normally do and spending on other ancillary things. So they're in their home. They're like, hey, I want to I want to design my office. I need a quiet space. I'm working from home. I need a gym, whatever it may be. And, and we're seeing that. But how... Does that affect you? Because on the exterior side, I mean, how is pricing? I mean, right now, a lot of us are dealing with pricing that's escalating quickly because suppliers have been locked down. You know, even though for a while, I think we had the same scare where some of our suppliers were like, are we going to get material? Can we keep production moving? Do we have crews that can work through this PPE, you know? So what are you seeing, you know, from your market on things? Are, are there costs prohibiting things that are on the forefront for you? Well, you know, we just ran into the last job that we just finished. We, we, it was a James Hardy job. We tear off the, uh, they had shake shingles, cedar site, shake shingle siding, we tore it off, assuming that there was solid sheeting right behind it. And so turns out it wasn't, it was just like a foam board. So I go to the customer. I'm like, Hey, listen, we're gonna have to put solid plywood all the way, you know, OSB all the way around the house before we install the siding. And typically, you know, like, I mean, three weeks ago, it seemed like OSB was, maybe $10 a sheet. Um, and so I quoted just on the fly, Hey, this is what it's going to cost. Um, and then we go to get the materials and I find out it's like $22 a sheet. <laughs> Holy crap. I, so yeah, I didn't fit that right. You know, Cause I don't do any markup on some of those things where it's just like, you know, we run into a problem. I, mean, I just basically time materials just get through it. I don't try and mark it up. So yeah, I lost money on that deal. Cause it just hits you so quick. And then four days later, it was up a couple more dollars. Like, I mean, just things are changing fast, um, on the, that side of it. So you have to really stay on top of your material costs. The other thing is, um, you know, we're noticing is just getting the materials, the time frame. if it's not stock item, things that used to take two weeks are taking six to eight weeks. Um, especially like with vinyl windows and vinyl siding, 
um, and some of the accessories. Um, so some of those things are, are, are causing me some headaches. So let me ask you, why, why did you choose to eat that cost? I know this is a very complicated question because a lot of us want to do what's right for our customer, right? Uh, but at the same time, you know, your position, it's hard to forecast every little thing that's happening in the market. And I had a contractor reach out to me that builds another part of the country. And he's like, Brad, how are you handling this communication? I mean, we have some big frame jobs we bid six months ago, and that number's doubled. I mean, you're talking a hundred thousand yeah. dollar delta, you know, who, how, how do we even get in front of the client? You know, how, so what made the decision there? Was it just, Hey, you know, we're trying to help them because it's an unknown, you know, but over time, I mean, as a contractor, you can't continue to absorb, you know, all these costs that are changing. Right. So it, uh, I, I hate going back to customers. I mean, like in the last 10 years, maybe it's happened five times. I mean, I just, I hate going back for more money. If it's, if it's within a couple hundred bucks or whatever, I just eat it. Um, and so I, I, I mean, my margin, I price my jobs and there's enough margin in it to cover that kind of stuff. So it doesn't really hurt me. You know I mean? I don't, I'm not so tight that, you know, that that's going to be an issue. Um, and then that's, in that case, yeah, I think it was probably about a, you know, $300 difference or something. It wasn't huge. So I just ate it, but, um, that, that's, that's the issue. You just have to stay on top of it because I, I, I just don't go back to them. I, I go in it. I just, I price it, I margin, uh, correctly. And if it's something small, I just, I just roll with it. Well, I think it's really important. You're alluding to communication, right? You're going to stay in front of with the customer because it doesn't matter if you're a cost plus contractor. It doesn't matter if you're you know, a guaranteed maximum price GMP or maybe even a fixed price. Either way, there's going to be communication that has to be had with the customer so they're aware of what's upcoming. You know, so in your experience, you know, one of the challenging things when you're doing remodels or in your situation where you're rebuilding exteriors, you know, a lot of times there's surprises. You may anticipate something's going to go per plan and you have a good idea to, re, you know, install a new substrate and, and resurface exterior, but then you open it up and it's like, whoa, you know, here's the surprise, you know, so how are you, I guess, prefacing the anticipation of that at pre-construction, you know, in that sales process. So that's really the only thing that, and, and the times that I've gone back, it's it, that's the only thing that has caught me because when we can, we see everything that we're dealing with. When we take off the, the siding, you know, the only thing that we're going to run into behind is if there's not solid sheeting. And we know that by code, there should be certain stuff there. Um, and so twice I can think of in the last two or three years that's happened. And both times I, I just went to the homeowner, just like I did this time, and told him, hey, um, you know, we, it should have been there. It's not there. This is the extra cost. You know, I'm not marking it up. This is my materials. This is my labor. Um, and I think that's why I didn't go back a second time, because then you, you just kind of look like, okay, you just told me yesterday that the price yeah. was $2, and now you're, you're telling me it's 2000 You know, so it's just it's not worth, you know, the credibility there. And so I, I will go back on, on that. But, um, you know, what I'm talking about is that if we run into, um, you know, we, t we tear off and there was just, you know, some extra wood rod or something. I mean, a couple of stuff. You're talking a little money. And you, the larger projects we do, there's enough margin in there to cover. I always put a little something in there to cover unknowns so they never have to go back to the customer. But um, if it's larger, like we got to put new plywood all around your house, that's going to be something we got to talk about. And is that a conversation you're typically having up front, even before you, you know, cut into the wall? Because there's just a lot of unknowns. I mean, how have you learned over time, I guess, experience-wise, the proper way to kind of set that expectation up front? 
Yeah, I do. I, I the way I handle that. Most of the time, we're going over uh, the existing panel siding. Oh, that that's a big thing we do here. Um, but if we're tearing off, I do have that conversation. I, I let them know. Hey, listen, uh, when we tear this off, you should have solid sheeting behind there. Um, I hate to go back. I, I just give tell them. You know, in the last you know five years, I've maybe gone back three times for more money. You know, because we didn't see something. And all three times, it was because when we tore off, there wasn't solid sheeting there. And so if we run into that, you know this is what it would cost. And I just put, I saw, so put that out there ahead of time. Um, that kind of set that expectation that they, it's the only thing we can run into. And if we do, it would be this much. And if we don't, then don't worry about it. That's yeah. Which is important. So how are you managing? I mean, going back to the conversation about COVID, how it's impacting suppliers, you know, how would you recommend for either remodeler, builder, designer, who's specking product? It doesn't matter if it's tile or if it's, you know, certain maybe brass plumbing fixtures, you know, I know that, for example, I won't throw the company on the bus, but there's a company out of California that makes brass fixtures that was delayed. They couldn't do the plating because of COVID, you know, their factories are shut down, uh, you know, so how that R&D, you know, how, how many phone calls should we be making as contractors and how much research should we be doing with our designers to make sure product is readily available and we're not missing that lead time? I think now it's it's almost a, a weekly or biweekly basis. I mean, I'm checking in with my distributors uh, at least once a week on different materials, and they're letting me know, hey, if there's something that, you know, they know me and they know the type of materials that I'm buying, and if they're, you know, like I had a guy tell me, uh, you know, my vendor called me the other day and said, hey, you know, on, on shutters, you know, we're having a hard time getting them. They're like, you know, eight weeks out. You know, I can get you the siding, I can get you the trail, I can get everything else, but, you know, if you need any shutters, add some time. And so just, you know, but I'm continually talking to my vendors um, on a weekly basis, looking for updates as they're finding out that, you know, hey, this was two weeks, now it's four weeks. You know, maybe even with another customer on another job, they found this out. I want to know about it so I can, you know, make adjustments. I think that's really important. It's funny when I was speaking with this other contractor, we're networking and he made the point. He said, you know, Brad, um, and he, he's great. He's being fully transparent. He's like, you know, the mistake I made is that typically we'll have even on a cost plus with the customer, we say, hey, look, our framing number, let's just gonna say is 100,000. We're gonna have a 10% contingency in there. So even though in our budget it's 100,000, we're gonna have a 10 grand variance because lumber does fluctuate, right? It's gonna move and we can only hold it for 30 days. Um, but he's like, what happened was this stuff was moving and I wasn't really tracking it. I didn't realize how far it's gotten. You know, it's gotten you know, at 50% in some cases. So the issue is now we're talking about these big deltas and he's like, the mistake I made, I wasn't calling my suppliers and vendors. And that's a quick call to repentance, right? That I need to start doing that and make that time in my schedule to call because that's where the clients can have some sticker shock. And if we're not doing that, and the problem is now, I'm sure you're dealing with one of the problems we have is not only are they not holding it for 30 days, they're not holding it for 10 days. And yeah. then the lumber we're getting is like crooked. It's not even that great. Yeah, I, I, I put a little onus back on the, the vendors. I mean, I expect my vendors, if they're having a major price increase, you know, or something's moving on price, I mean, I expect a call. I expect them to call me and say, hey, just a heads up, you know, uh, plywood just went up, you know, 30%. That's something I don't order on every job, so that's why I didn't get that call. Um, I mean, that's just going to Home Depot went up that much. Mm -hmm. uh, but on, the, on my siding and, and stuff that I'm doing on a regular basis, uh, I, I would expect a phone call if something's changing more than, you know, five or 10%. Well, I love that you brought that up because there's are a lot of vendors that listen to the podcast and that I network with. And one of the questions 
you know, a lot of them come in trying to earn our business, you know, and other designers in town and architects and builders, right? And they always say, well, how can we be more of more value, right, to the mm-hmm. to the end user, which is you purchasing or specking my product? And I think you hit that on the head is communication. I mean, if we have vendors that are sitting there saying, okay, Stephen, okay, Brad, you know, we're having, we're seeing some major increases, some major delays. Get on the phone, let everyone know who's purchasing and give them a heads up. Right. That's That's exactly right. And what are some other things they could do, you know, from a vendor side, you know, if you're looking from their perspective, what are other things that they could do to help, you know, strengthen that relationship with us as a client? You know, I, I think that um, we, we, we do a fair amount of James Hardy siding, and they seem to be the gold standard as far as I mean, those guys, their reps. I mean, they're there to help me with anything I need growing my business. I, I mean, they, they sell siding, but I mean, they're almost like business consultants. I mean, I can call those guys. And say, hey, I'm having an issue with a CRM. Do what do you recommend? And they've done the research, and they know guys, or they'll reach out to other, uh, comp- you know, other co- companies like mine, but in other parts of the country, and say, hey, what do you do that are successful? Say, hey, what are you doing that's working with it? If any problem I have, I can call my James Hardy rep, and they are, they'll figure it out. They'll find a, they'll find an answer. They'll ask somebody in another market, you know, that's, you know, dealt with that issue and find an answer for me. So I think just being a resource, you know, for for these uh, companies that, you know, helping them solve problems, I mean, in their business, not necessarily even with their product, but um, I mean, I, I come across, if I have a design issue, you know, uh, software, uh, estimating software, things like this, I, 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 they're just a great resource and that means a lot to me. You know, they, they've helped me a lot. And so I think that's, the, to me, it would be the gold standard, you know, as far as earning somebody's business is just helping them, help them grow their business. That's what everybody wants to do is grow their business. Well, it's interesting, you know, and we'll get back into the business growth, you know, some ideas you have. But what's interesting is, you know, the comment you made, you talked about the sales rep, right? So the product is really important. And that is something that speaks to all of us, but also that relationship with the salesperson. Someone that's going to communicate, pick up the phone, be responsive, you know, communicate. That is so important. And, you know, that valuable resource. And as we apply that to you and I, you know, we have to look at that. Our designers are looking, hey, Brad, I really want to do this this design i want to do this accent well can we do it and instead we just say no it can't be done or do are we a resource to say oh we can do it but here's option a b and c or here's how we execute that to point them so we don't just stonewall them right on their ideas um and and so from your side you know steven as we go through the market conditions right i mean right now the economy is good for us in construction which is kind of odd based on covid and so many industries being hit the restaurant travel you know, airline, I mean, there's, there's some major issues, I think, on the horizon that will impact us all globally at some point. So, but construction is a cycle. It goes up and down. Design goes up and down. So what are some tactics, at least in your mind, lead generation tactics, do you know, to get through a recession? I think that, um, you know, what I've been doing for the last uh, year or so is focusing more on the long game and, and, and just positioning myself as, you know, the expert in our market when it comes to exterior home improvements. And I do that by, you know, we, we wrote a book on siding and had it published on Amazon. We, uh, doing these podcasts, um, you know, just really focusing and we do a lot online. Um, you know, when there's not, and I think that helped us too. I mean, when there's not trade shows and there's not, uh, these things, um, you know, you, you do the organic stuff. And I mean, if we got into a super bad spot, Okay, you know, and we quit spinning on advertising, you know, it would take a little bit 
for that stuff to kind of start to fade a little bit because we've done all this work and it's all organic. I mean, the stuff's still out there. It's not going away. You know, all of the articles that we write, all of the blog posts, all of the, you know, pictures we put on there, the before and afters, you know, all that's all just marketing and organic stuff. Um, you know, I could shut off the what I do and I'd still have a lot out there. And I think that's what gets you through the tough times, um, you know, and allows you to, to survive. When, if you're just, you know, if you're if you're dependent on like trade shows and AdWords and stuff like that, that you have to spend money today and, and to get a result, um, I think you're, you're at risk. Now, I love that you share that because essentially what you're saying is, yes, there is value in trade shows. There's value maybe in print media value on Google AdWords and some of the SEO content that's out there. Um, but, you know, let's be honest, you know, in a recession, maybe we don't have the budget or funds to maybe double down on those expenses. But in essence, what you're saying is, okay, well, what's another way to become a thought leader? What's another way to build that brand, right? And let's double down today when the market's good and then double down even further when it slows down in you know, organic content and bringing value, whether it be through blogs, through podcasts, through networking, you know, before and afters, these things that are really engaging to the consumer. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, reviews. I mean, I, I can't stress enough how important that is. Uh, I put a lot of effort into getting Google reviews and, and building that up because those are on there. They're free and they, they're on there forever. And so when people are, you know, when you're not marketing, they're still looking at, you know, researching and they see that it, it, it speaks volumes. That's interesting because I've seen the value, especially reviews. I mean, everyone now, I mean, there's some um, statistics that, you know, 90% of users that engage you, Stephen, or me, they've done the research online, whether they've looked us up on social media, whether they've looked us up on Google, you know, on Yelp, whatever it may be. And they're, they're researching, they're finding out what other people are saying and the, the pros and cons. You know, and that's what, something that I think all companies, we, we forget. We we have all this time in pre-construction. You know, it's it's the marketing, it's the sales, it's signing the deal, then going and doing the work, and then you move on. And sometimes we forget to have a photograph. We forget to get the client, hey, can you give me a review? So how do you remember to ask them for the review and then actually have that executed? So we have a process. We use um, a service called Great Us that we um, – we actually preload when we sell the job, we enter their email and information um, in this software. And then once we finish the job, it's basically a click of a button and it shoots up off an, an email asking for a review with links to, you know, Google, Facebook, you know, the other business bureau, all of these different things, angels list, things like that. And then it, um, it, it sends out three emails. So it'll send out an initial one. If they don't get a response, then I think a couple days later, it's a, they get a second email. And then if they don't respond a week later, they get the final third email asking for it. So, but that's all automated. So uh, we don't have to worry about that. The other thing we do is um, right when we start the job, we order uh, some, some brownies and have them delivered. So they usually get there by the time the job is ending up. And um, just as a thank you for choosing us and, you know, trying to put another, you know, good taste in their mouth, I guess. Some brownie and, points, right? Yeah, some brownie points. <laughs> Literally. And so, you know, we just do all those things. And it's amazing because it's still hard. It's still hard to get reviews. I, I always tell the story. I, I had this lady that was the most pickiest customer last year. And, I mean, one of those that you're wondering, like, do I really want this job? She was so just in the whole writing up the contract. And you could just tell this is going to be a this is going to be a difficult customer. But I just... I hit it off with her. I really liked her. And so we, we, I took on the job and I, I just managed it myself personally all the way through. Everything went perfect. And 
um, we just became almost friends, you know, and it's to the point where like Christmas, she's sending me a, you know, an email saying, Hey, Merry Christmas. I haven't talked to you in a while. Just wanted to make sure things good. When COVID hit, I got an email from her saying, Hey, uh, you know, I hope you and your family's safe and just check it on you guys. Just that kind of relationship. Lady never would leave me a review. I don't know why I asked her like three different times, you know, and she just kept saying she would, but never would. And you don't want to keep pestering. But so as I'm saying, even if you do every single thing right and the, the people love you, you're not always going to get that review, but you just have to keep asking and it's a numbers game. And eventually, you know, you, you get them, but uh, you, you can do everything right. And it doesn't still doesn't mean you're going to get, get the, get the review. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And, and what, you know, are there certain platforms you've seen, you know, if I'm a new company and I'm looking at my marketing and I'm looking at how to build that name, Stephen, would you recommend, you know, if, if this is overwhelming to me, would you recommend one or two that I should be seeking for reviews? I mean, what are ones that you've seen the most success for your company? By far, it's Google, Google reviews, which seem to be the most difficult to get because not everybody has a Gmail account. And so, you know, like if they don't, they, they pretty much have to create one. They have to have a Gmail account to leave a Google review because that's how Google verifies that it's real and not just somebody put it on there. So they, and, and there's not a real, Google doesn't make it easy to link to get the, to show people how to do it. It's kind of cumbersome. So great us helps with that. Um, but by far Google um, would be number one. Number two would be Facebook. And then after that, it, I don't think it really matters. I mean, I think there's better business bureau agents list. They're all kind of in that, that, third tier category it's interesting you said that's so funny because i'm in total agreement i've seen i you know whenever i i speak with other builders designers architects it's always make sure you're after google i mean google is driving so much and if you have high reviews it will drive that seo content especially on google maps like you go into google maps and it'll show landmarks like in your area and it'll make your office or location a landmark because you have high reviews you know and then depending on your demo, I think for me, you know, Facebook, House, and um, and Google are kind of the three. You know, depending on your business, though, you know, I'm a, a, you know, we do custom homes and commercial, and so not a lot of people are looking this up on Yelp, not a lot of people on Angie's List, but it's really important to understand your demo that some people are real heavy, you know, especially some of my peers that are remodelers, you know, Angie's List and Yelp are really big for them, and that's why they've pursued that because that is a huge um, net that they're casting. So it's really important to understand that demo. Um, so how do you track, you know, some of your marketing efforts? You know, are you guys tracking that through analytics? Is it something you're monitoring pretty closely to know where the value is spent? Yeah, we are. We use um, called tracking numbers for all different, you know, ads, um, both the Google ads, um, organic stuff that we do. Um, and, and so we track all that, yeah, through analytics. In fact, that was a big, I, I, I thought two years ago that, I was actually crediting more to AdWords than what was really coming from AdWords before I started tracking. And I realized that I was getting, you know, about more, more of it was coming from organic than what I had, you know, given credit to. And it, it caused me to change my focus a little bit. And that's, you know, about a year ago, I started, okay, well, you know what, maybe I should do less AdWords and focus more on the SEO and grow that because I'm, you know, I'm getting a pretty good return on that. And um, so, yeah, we definitely track it and we follow, follow the numbers and, and go that way. I love that you said that. So how are you um, tracking? Are you asking, like when someone calls you, if I'm just, hey, Brad, I'm calling you, Stephen, you know, I, I have this project. Are you interested? Are you asking me where I found you? I mean, how are you tracking that? Yeah, yeah we're doing that. But no, what we're really going by is um, Google Analytics. So like, so if they fill out a form on my on my webpage, um, it tells me where they what 
lead they hit to get there. So if it was like an AdWords, it would come up and say that that lead was from AdWords. If it was um, just organic website, it would be organic. Like it's all tracked through or through analytics on my website with Google Analytics. And then also with MarketSharp, we use a software program that helps us with all of this. And so it's, it's kind of sophisticated, but it, it really helps. I love that you're doing that. It's, well, it's, go ahead. What was that? And, and we use uh, tracking numbers as well. So if they're calling, if they're calling in, I get a report that says, you know, what number they called, where that, that means it was AdWords. That means it, it was uh, in different places that we place ads on mailers or, um, you know, side of a truck or whatever. We can tell where it came from. Oh, that's such good advice because, you know, for me, what I found very similar, you know, when I first started running our company and, and focusing on marketing, you know, I wasn't asking those questions and I've learned over time, especially in the last few years, you know, as those leads come in, I, I really try to identify either as you're doing automation or if they're just calling me or in DMing me on Instagram, I track where those are coming so I know where to spend my time. And I think that's really important for anyone listening is understand that metric, right? Understand those analytics that if, if you know where the, re, where the leads are coming, you can now focus your lead generation on those items. And, and going back to it, Stephen, I mean, you've been in the industry, you have a ton of experience, especially in marketing. You know, how, how have you seen just the marketing industry change and, and what builders, how quickly we should be moving today as opposed to 10 years ago with certain things that are out there? Well, I mean, it's I mean, when I first, you know, my, my dad owned a roofing business before me. And I mean, I remember when I was just getting started, it was easy. You, you spent $50,000 a year on a full page ad in the yellow pages and, you know, you were, you always had plenty of business. It was simple, you know. Um, and then it just is, it has evolved. And I think that now, I mean, you know, it's, it's all starts with the web. I mean, you, you've got to start with the, you got to have a great web, web presence, you know, and then you, you get as much out of that as you can. And then you start to move into the radio and, and as you grow, you know, even TV, but, um, we put, we're at the stage in, in our business where we put just about everything into the, the online. I mean, that's just everything. Because it dry everything else that you do after that, it all funnels back to the web. I mean, everybody's going to end up there. They're going to go look and, and do their research. For people that are selling larger projects, you know, like siding and I mean, if I was just selling, like we just did gutter guards, maybe it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But when you're doing larger projects, um, you know, people do more research. The bigger the project, the more research they do. And I think that, that all that research is done online. You know, and it's not just your website, but it's also like you said earlier, what people say about you and what other, you know, all these other places where they can find information about your company. Um, and so we, we just invest a lot in that. I feel like, I mean, we're in an early stage in our business. I mean, this business that, um, you know, I have smartest tiers about five years in business. And so we're still feel like we're really building that foundation, but it, it all starts with the online presence and reputation management and building that brand. Um, and then you can, it makes everything else that much more successful and easier. So what advice would you give, you know, especially as you're building your, you know, smart exteriors and you've seen the growth and you've seen all the organic reach as you're working through these platforms, you know, if I'm someone that's maybe a little bit more private or I don't want to share all my secrets or I don't want to be on a public profile, you know, what, what would you say to someone that has that mentality or maybe correct them or say, hey, you, you better focus on a few things because you're going to miss the mark here in the future? You know, my my wife is is very much that person. You know, she's like scared to death that my competition is going to find out everything we're doing and, you know, and then do it. And, and you know, she's like, you should you just you tell everybody everything. You know, you're just like an open book. And, you know, my philosophy is by the time they figured out I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. Know, like they're always playing catch up. 
And so it doesn't matter. And, and the, 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 the further you get into this, you know, I always look at it like, um, you know, we're five years into this. So if somebody found out today what I've been doing, they're watching this podcast, and, you know, my competitor here in town is hearing all of this. You know, he's going to start today. Well, I've got a five-year head start. You know, he's going to have to be committed to consistently doing exactly what I say for the next five years to get to where I am today. You know, and that's five years from now. Well, five years from now, I'm going to be five years further down the road. So it just they just can't do it. You know, it just doesn't work. Um, so I'm, I don't have any fear of that at all. Uh, I don't think anybody really should. Um, you know, just do it. As the further you get down the road, the harder it is for them to catch up. And by the time they do catch up, you're five years further than they are. I love that. And the other thing is, too, I mean, when you when you're out there and you're on these platforms and you have this public persona, per se, you know, the reality is the the end user, the client's going to see value there because, you know, at least my perception and the feedback I've received from clients and others, they say, look, Stephen, if you're going to be out there and putting yourself out there, there's there's risk of exposure, there's risk of credibility. And so by being out there, it shows that, hey, you believe in what you're doing, you have systems, you know, you have a, a level of quality. Because you can be diagnosed quickly if you're not doing those things. And I'm sure people can see right through that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, transparency, I think, leads to, um, you know, trust and credibility. And that's that's what we try to do is be as transparent and, and out there as possible. And I think that our customers appreciate that. And I think it builds trust and credibility. So what about the the negative side of social media where some of us, you know, may have trolls or people that are just you know, negative. I mean, some people are just negative. They can hide behind their computer screen, you know, so how do you manage, you know, those comments and those conversations if they say, hey, Stephen, I can't believe you're doing this substrate and I can't believe you're doing this waterproofing detail for your siding like it should be done this way. You know, we haven't ran into too much of that. Um, I did have a, um, I wrote an article one time about siding and I had the LP rep call me and correct me on something and I just made the correction. I just, you know what, I missed it. And went back in the article, made the correction, and you know, I, just to get transparency. You know, it's like just just be transparent. And um, I haven't ran into too much of that though. And it's an issue, so I try to be as open and honest and transparent as possible, and we'll deal with it. Yeah, which is good advice. It, it's funny because um, we had a project, and it's a, a modern home in Scottsdale, and the architect, because the HOA was driving this, the, the HOA did not want to see rain gutters, right? But we needed a way because, you know, we get monsoons, we get this heavy rain, and it's a commercial flat roof. And even though it's pitched to an extent, right, we had to deal with that water. So he he came up with the detail of these integrated roof gutters. And I remember I put it on LinkedIn and Instagram. And there were a lot of people on LinkedIn that came after me. And they're like, Brad, don't do it. Like, you're going to have so many issues with that integrated, you know, gutter. I've seen this fail over time because the original detail we had was going to fail. And and what's interesting is, to your point, I, I could have, you know, with your LP rep is – I looked at this and I could have taken a personal like, don't tell me what to do. You know, I'm out here. I'm trying to figure this out. But they, they actually gave some really kind of advice. And some of them said, hey, Brad, maybe look at doing it this way. Do this because then it won't fail. And it actually, I would say, saved because we weren't comfortable with that detail. But now with this other information, we met the roofer and he's like, I feel comfortable that we can warranty this and, and not have issues. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I look at it is, you know, I, I don't claim to, to be the, the no, I don't know everything. You know, then things change all the time. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always open to learning. I'm always open to, you know, hey, this change and this is, you know, I mean, even with James Hardy siding, I mean, the way that they recommended installing it just three years ago, you know, with the way they do the, the butt joints and seams and things, it has changed. I mean, it used to be caulking. Now it's, you, know, you don't caulk it, you flash it, and things change. 
And so I'm open. I'm, I'm you know, humility, you know, <laughs> it's just, let's, I'm trying to find the best answer for my customers and, and anybody who's listening. And if I hear new information that, that changes my opinion or, uh, you know, I think is a better way, I'm more than happy to share it and, and go on. And I, I believe that the positive side about social media and why I'm a big proponent of it is, is to this point in this conversation, Stephen, that I've seen, especially in construction, right? We're pretty archaic. We're pretty, that dinosaur mentality that I've been doing it this way for 30 years. This is how we do it. And it's my way or the highway. And that's kind of been, and a lot of contractors don't share, but then social media kind of exposed everyone in a sense that, you know, yeah, I, I need to look how people are doing their flashing and window detail, you know, in New York or in Oregon, even though I'm in Phoenix, right? How can I better that? And so there's a lot of information that as you're putting it out there, like you are, Stephen, as a thought leader, it allows, okay, this is how Steven's doing it. It's it's built his brand. Smart Exteriors is doing it this way. Now I can apply that and that can help me be a better, you know, GC. That's how you, I mean, being open-minded, that's how you learn. That's how you get to become an expert is by listening to other people's opinions and, and you know, maybe four or five different people and they were conflicting and then you kind of decide, you know what, I've heard from these different people and this is the best way I think to do it. But, you know, if you're not, if you're not open and listening and, and constantly learning and, and seeing new things and open to criticism, things like that, you're, you're not going to be able to share the latest and newest information and have the best ideas. You, you've got you've to gotta be open and, and to hear that stuff. That's great. And we, and we touched on this a little bit, Stephen, in the conversation. You know, we talked about, or at least you did, about the importance of diversify your marketing, right? Don't put it all in one basket. Understand, you know, how you can utilize blogs, how you can utilize your website and social media platforms. And now you have author on your resume, right? So, you know, what inspired you to write your own book, Consultant Homeowners, you know, with their own personal guide for citing? You know, where did that come from and how have you seen the benefit, you know, for po- providing that great advice to, to the end client? You know, it goes along with, um, there's, it's just my idea with marketing is there's so much that, um, we do good. Um, a lot of times, like there may be an old house that, you know, like give you an example. Last year we had a guy that he he bought his childhood home and then wanted to uh, refurbish it and update it. It was like this great story and, you know, a great project. And I was like, this is a perfect example of if you don't capture that and share it, you know, then it's as if it didn't happen. You know, and the same thing with like positive experiences. When somebody you do a job for somebody and they absolutely love it, if you don't capture that in, in a review and broadcast it, it, it's almost as if it didn't happen. Because I mean, the only person to know about it is them and maybe two or three people that they told. But if you can capture it and market it, that that to me that's what marketing is. It's just basically sharing this, all the good things that you do, and sharing them with the world. And I know a lot about siding because. Honestly, one of the guys that um, was one of my installers, this guy was like 63 years old. He'd been doing siding for, since he was, you know, uh, 20. So they had like 40 years doing siding, and he was like an encyclopedia. And so I just was constantly talking to him about the different types of sidings that are out there. And then I would take what he told me, and I would go and talk to the different manufacturers, and and I just started really getting into this. And so I also had a fair amount of knowledge about all the different siding products. But I was like, if I don't put it out there, you know, if you don't capture that and put it out there in a way that you know, people know that you have that information and people know that, you know, you, you have this knowledge, then it's as if it's as if you don't have it. The only people that would know would be the person sitting right in front of you. And so that's what um, inspired me to kind of let's, let's capture that. Let's put it in writing and let's put it out there. And so that's what where I did that. And that's what I'm trying to do with, you know, like having these podcasts is just, you know, market the fact that, you know, there are a lot of things that I know and a lot of experience that I've gained over the years of being in the industry and, um, you know, put it out there. And to me, that's what marketing is.
So have you ever had any clients come back and say, Stephen, I read your book and it's great advice and you know, I want to use this product because you recommended it? It, it was the, the very uh, first time was this year. It was, which is like, literally I just put the book out this year. But so it was, I went out to a, a house and it was, a, it was actually a large project. And the lady said that um, we read your book and she goes, this is before I do the first appointment where I'm just gathering information. I didn't get a price or anything. And she said, don't worry, we're going to use you. We read your book. Uh, we're going to take your advice. And uh, she's like, just let us know, you know, what, how much it's going to cost and when you can get started. And I thought, wow, that was powerful. <laughs> that was a great decision. And, and it turned out, so I got that job, uh, got the neighbor across the street from that job. Then I got his brother. You know, all, I mean, those are probably the three largest jobs I've done this year, all from just that book. And so there, it's, it is powerful. You know, it is powerful. Well, I, I love that example because it really gives um, everyone listening that understanding because the question is always asked, like, Stephen, why do you spend so much time on social media, on marketing, on branding, writing a book, right? That takes time. Same thing for me, like, Brad, why are you doing this? You know, the podcast, what's the end game? And and what they don't realize is that what hap- ends up happening is, you know, we're all trying to better our company, better our brand, better our knowledge of the industry. And what ends up happening as we're expanding this network, you know, the clients see that. And what ends up happening, there's a personality built, there's a trust built with the clients. So just as you went, you know, when I'm sitting with a client and they're like, hey, Brad, I've been following you for a year, year and a half. I'm comfortable with you. I'm comfortable with AFT and the brand. You know, I'm comfortable with you, Stephen, and Smart Exteriors and what you're doing. Really, at that point, it's just does the budget work? You know, here's what I want to do. Does the cost work? And you don't have to spend any time selling yourself because it's, in essence, that sells, you know, that that sales um, pitch has already been done. Yes, when I've noticed, and I relate more to the Google reviews than you know some of the other things I've done, but a, a direct correlation to the customers when I go out and see them, they've already decided that they want to use me. It's just a matter of you know working out the details, you know, and can they afford it, and and all these things. And I can also tell you that there's a direct relation to as the reputation. Uh, grows, the, the, the margins grow. I mean, what I was, where I used to have to compete on price, you know, starting out, I don't have to do that, you know, as, as the reputation improves and grows. Um, people have already done their research. They like you. They know you're a good company. They know you do good work. Now it's just a matter of, you know, scheduling and pricing. And that's important to think about. And even if you're in a market where maybe you can't dictate that pricing maybe you're in a smaller market it's very competitive or maybe it's an open book market which some of our markets are in the country but the reality is Stephen. i mean even if 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 you have those restrictions on the dollar amount the reality is you can start picking your clients right that you're going to have more leads and more personality and so we know this is a tough business you know we're in customer service it's hard so if we even if all of our margins is the same and we can pick 10 of the 20 that we want it's going to be a better experience right because now we're working with personalities that we know we can jive and and satisfy at the end of the day exactly exactly and you know your time is everything's more efficient i mean your your closing percentages go up and so you're not having to go see you know 10 clients to get one or two sales you're going to see 10 clients to get four or five mm-hmm so it just makes everything work better. And that's important. So how getting into that, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of leads, you know, in your market there in Kansas City. You know, so how are you vetting the clients? If the lead comes into you, Stephen, you know, are there certain questions you're asking? How can you quickly, you know, work through those questions so you're not spending a lot of time, you know, just driving all day, just meeting with people? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do a pretty good job of vetting. One thing that we do is we start to, as we start to ask them about the project, 
you know, we let them know that our, we're going to be coming out to give them an estimate uh, for a full siding replacement. It's not going to be, um, you know, just for one side of their house or for a repair or anything like that. And so, you know, we we ask that up front. And so a lot of times we'll get, I mean, we, we turn down a ton of those um, opportunities where people are saying, oh, no, really, I was just wanting the, you know, this one side of my house done. Or um, I just had a couple rotten panels and, you know, we just tell them we're not, you know, we're not equipped to, to do that kind of work. We do full side replacement, um, you know, or like windows, you know, we, we have a four window minimum. You know, so if you just need one or two windows, that's that's not a good fit for us. Um, and so we just focus on the larger projects and, and, and we are a little more selective in that way. I love that you do that because the reality is, I mean, most of us, we understand the ups and downs of construction and we want to be everything to everyone. But I learned early in my career that how important it is to understand my my wheelhouse and know what I'm good at. And instantly you can vet out projects just saying this probably isn't a good fit for us, right? Because I just know over time that we're not the best contractor for you. So if you had someone call in and say, Stephen, you know, I wanted you two windows. Do you have a network, a Rolodex of people to refer them to? Do you kind of just leave them off? I mean, how do you manage that process if it's we've not done, a good fit? We, we've done both. Um, you know, I've had some some guys that I, sometimes I refer some of my subcontractors. You know, I've, I've done that before where they, you know, but that doesn't always work out well. And so what we've done now is we basically, um, they'll ask us, well, do you know anybody, you know, that, that can do that? And then we just refer them to either like Home Advisor or um, Thumbtack or something like that and tell them that that's a good resource to find someone that can do smaller projects. Oh, that's good advice. So do you have a favorite style? I mean, based on the exteriors you're doing, you know, something speak to you more. Is it a modern home? Is it transitional, traditional? You know, what, what are some of the things that you love in architecture, the projects you like to work on? I, I love older homes. Um, there's something about, I don't know, it's just unique. Um, we, we did one uh, last year. It was like a 100-year-old house, and we tore it off, and we put uh, James Hardy uh, shingles on there all over the whole house. A lot of times well, we do a lot of them where we put the shingles as an accent because they're kind of like the materials alone are double what like lap siding would be. Um, but I like I love the look of the James Hardy shingles, and I like doing older homes and just kind of restoring them. It just seems like it, uh, I don't know, I find it rewarding. So do you have experience working on old homes? Because that there could be challenges for that too. I mean, you know, different parts of the country, there's some really old homes. I mean, in Arizona, it's like, it's kind of funny because we don't have terribly old homes and the older homes we do like weren't really built that well, being in that it's a desert. And so we have a lot of tear down and rebuild, but in other markets, that's not the case. So, you know, how have you worked through some of the issues maybe with other construction methods and techniques of the past? That's that, that's the issue is a lot of times like on, you know, they're as moldings, like their fascia is like, you know, crown molding. And so you can't put a gutter to it because it's just not, you know, there's all these different challenges, but we've been, we've done through it, you know, five or six times now and on homes that are over hundred years old. And so we found some solutions to that. And, um, you know, sometimes it, we, we can't, um, use a material that is, you know, maintenance free or life like pvc or vinyl or sometimes we have to use wood and we have to have it custom made and then you know has to just be painted but um and a lot of those historical homes they're in historical neighborhoods and they require that you use uh, materials that were available at that time and so you know they get you out of some of the newer stuff but um we enjoy it i just find it challenging and rewarding I was just going to ask that because when you're working in historical areas, a lot of times they do have requirements that you have to meet, right? You can't change certain aesthetics, certain materials, you know, so then it can become really custom. So on the front end, you know, 
do you have an idea that a home's historical before you go out there and visit? Because I'm sure that'll dictate some of the custom finishes or exterior siding materials or windows that you have to replace to match. And you better have a good grasp on contacts and, and understand that pricing matrix or it can really get you. Yeah. So we typically do, um, we, sometimes we can tell by the neighborhood, but um, a lot of times, you know, we ask that if it's in question, we're asking the homeowner, you know, when was this home built? You know, is this in a historical neighborhood? We've done others. There was one that we did um, in a, it was a home that was over a hundred years old, but it wasn't deemed a historical neighborhood. And so we, and that was, we were actually able to use with any material we could. So we used, um, you know, some ASEC uh, crown molding and PVC stuff. And it was pretty cool, but, um, sometimes we can't, but we always ask, I mean, even if it's a newer home, you got to ask about the HOA, they have, you know, all kinds of requirements and, you know, sometimes you can't do colors and materials and different neighborhoods. So we, we always have to research all of that on every job, regardless of the age. It's funny because how that applies to me is very similar. We have HOAs pretty much everywhere and we have to understand every community is different on work hours. You know, even in the summer, yeah. You know, it's 110 degrees here in Phoenix, and so my subs want to, you know, my framers especially and roofers want to get out at 5 a.m., but some HOAs say you can't start till 7 a.m., which really changes our workday. I can't have them out there till 3 in the afternoon because it's too hot and they can dehydrate. So we have to really factor in time of year and scheduling and figure out the CCNRs that go along with it. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot goes to that. I mean, it's even where you can place dumpsters. You know, like you said, yeah, what time you can start and what time you, you know, have to finish too. There's a lot of them, you know, the guys like to work till dark, but sometimes you have to be out of there by five o'clock. You know? Yeah. And sometimes you can't work weekends. And it's funny. I have yeah. a community. We have a home we're finishing up. Um, and, and when I've brought other builders to you, I tell them, well, the HOA requires that the homeowner has three fountains. And they always look at me like, what? Yeah. Like three fountains, you know, water fountains. I said, yeah. So we have a water feature here at the front door. We have one off the master suite. And then we have one in the backyard. And it blows their mind. And I'm like, well, these are the details you need to understand. Because if you haven't priced in three fountains, you know, that can come get you if the architect's unfamiliar with it. You know, those are little things that we have to do our research. Yes. So, Stephen, when it comes to like rain screens, um, you know, explain. There's probably a lot of our listeners that have heard the term rain screen. They don't know what that is or what that means. So talk about that. What, you know, what a rain screen is and, um, you know, some, you know, one that you'd recommend. Yeah. So in this part of the country, we have a lot of trees and they shed leaves and they clog gutters. And so people have to get up and clean out their gutters or else they start to cause damage because the water will fill up and it could run behind and start to rot the fascia or it can run over and, you know, get cause issues with the foundation and things like that. So there are two main types. I mean, there's basically a uh, what they call a reverse curve technology where it basically it, it relies on surface tension. So the water will hold to it as it you know, kind of curve around and go into the gutter and the, the debris will jump off as it hits that edge and those uh prior you know to maybe five six years ago were, were by far the most popular and kind of what everyone was doing but they have their own set of issues i mean small debris still gets in there and they clog up uh wasps can get in there and build nests anytime there's a any sort of opening um so then the other kind is a screen or like a mesh and what you find most at like uh most gutter companies are wanting to install or if you go to home depot or They've got larger holes. I mean, the holes are, you know, maybe just a little bit smaller than a dime. So debris can still get stuck in the holes. And those are kind of the worst kind because uh, now you got to get them clean out your gutter guards instead of cleaning out your gutters. And what's the point? So we found um, about six years ago a micro mesh screen. I mean, this is, uh, it's like 
uh, I'd say about the size of a window screen as far as the holes on it, but it's made out of a surgical grade stainless steel. So it doesn't clog. It doesn't, you know, get, uh, weathered or break or nothing, tear nothing over grows time. on it. Nothing, you know, the sun's not going to damage it and things like that. And, um, it's made by Armor Guard, and it's called the um, Armor Guard. It's made by All Weather Armor. The, 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 the screen is actually called Armor Guard, and it's housed in a extruded aluminum heavy-duty frame, and it's got a surgical-grade stainless steel micro mesh on it. I mean, it's by far the best product I've ever seen, and that's what we sell. And um, it works. We really, I mean, for the last eight years, we've been installing it um, and not had any issues whatsoever. Which is huge. Because I'd imagine, you know, there's a price difference as you're sending out the customer and you say, okay, we have option A, B, and C, but it's an easy sell when you look at, okay, there's a little bit more cost, but here's the value, right, for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, when we show a lot, of, amazing, we're the only ones really in, the, in this market that, that sell that product. And um, when we show it to people, it just makes sense. They're just like, wow, I didn't know this was available. And once they see it, they, they're like, yeah, this I see where this would solve the issues that I'm having or that my neighbors are having with theirs. And and so it works, um, but yeah, uh, the micro mesh technology is the is definitely going to be the future of that uh, rain screen. Uh, you know, it's got to be a surgical grade stainless steel, but micro mesh, fine where nothing can get through those holes but water, and uh, they work really, really well. Which is amazing. So, what's the average duration of your project? You know, as you're dealing with the customer. Well, so on like a roof, it would you know it's basically a day or two. Um, you know, on the, the gutter screens, it's just a day. On siding, it's a week to two weeks, and that's about as long as we uh, projects we get into. So, when you're dealing with that many clients, I mean, for anyone listening, you know, that's high turnover, right? That's that's a lot of job inquiries, that's a lot of vetting, that's a lot of pricing, that's a lot of management of personalities. You know, for me, I may have you know 16 clients a year. You know, I mean, it's. Right. You know, all of us have our own pains, though, with each client, right? No matter what the complexity there. But how are you managing so many personalities, so much turnover, you know, to keep that customer happy? Well, you know, it's usually not more than, I mean, like myself or I've got two uh, other salespeople that go out and they, they're the point of contact for the customer, um, you know. And so it, they're, we're by the jobs, you know, a couple times a day. When on a siding job, just to check on everything, We're always just a phone call away. Um, you know, it's not like you know you if you're building a house. I mean, you've got a lot of different subs, a lot of different stuff going. Usually with us, it's like we got a siding guy and a guttering guy, and or maybe a siding guy and a painter. You know, it's not it's not as complicated as you know uh, you know new home builder or, or you know larger general contractors doing some larger projects. So. It's, it's not difficult. Um, you know, the difficult is when you've got 20 leads coming in in a day and you've got four jobs going on and you, you know, trying to manage all that, that's when it gets, uh, gets to be a little difficult. But, and when we get in those situations, we just get, um, again, we kind of get tightened or a little more restrictive on who we go see, you know, and start qualifying a little more and just getting a little more detail. Like now we're going to go into certain areas and, you know, we're, we're actually get to the point where we're giving people you know, average job cost on the phone before they, before we set the appointment where we say, okay, what type of siding area you're interested in? And, you know, just so you know, an average project like that might be 35 or $40,000, you know, um, you know, what, what does that sound like a budget that you have and that sort of thing. And so just price conditioning up front to try and, you know, eliminate some of the, the ones that may not be a good fit for us. Um, when we get busy, we just start tightening that net a little bit. 
I love that because it's really important that, you know, that you have a database and understanding of your pricing because that does allow you to be more successful and allows better communication with the client because, you know, I look at it, client will call me and say, hey, Brad, well, what's your price for per square foot? And, you know, it's always a misleading question, you know, because it's, I've, I've used this analogy, it's like, how much does it cost for a bag of groceries, right? It's like, there could be so many things in it. But when you look at it, you know, there are some quick questions to ask, you know, if they don't want to give me their budget, you know, I can say, well, you know, is it a hillside build? Is it modern architecture? Is it transition? I can, you know, how much stones on the exterior? You know, there's just some things in my mind where I could give them a range and say, you're probably going to be X dollars a square foot. And it quickly, you know, they may say, okay, that's fine. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Or they may say, oh, you know, that's like double the price. And then you can quickly say, yeah, this may not be a good fit because there's that unrealistic. And, you know, from your side, Stephen, when you have and I'm not sure your process. I know that a lot of customers, they may sit down with you and they have a relationship with you, Stephen, and say, I've read your book or we have this relationship. Do you handle that communication all the way through or are you turning that over to like a project manager or foreman that's running the job, you know, after you've sold it? No, I handle all the way through. Each, each salesperson handles it all the way through. So from the time we meet for the first estimate until we collect the final payment, um, we're the point of contact. I love that. And I think there's some consistency there. I, I think that provides value for the client where they have one person to contact. They they have a trust with you and now they know you're managing and it and it makes it easier. It's just up to you now to manage your day, right? With right. all the upcoming sales plus everything ongoing. Yep. You know, so from your perspective, you know, looking forward, you know, what is your outlook on the home improvement industry, you know, with COVID, with everything else? I mean, are how optimistic are you and, and what do you see, you know, being the, the future for us? I think that I honestly think next year I, I anticipate taking you know a step back. I, I think that things are, are going to be um, you know sales are going to be down just a little bit. I don't know about I mean I hope to get a bigger piece of the pie, but I think the pie is going to shrink a little bit. You know, um, just because I mean this 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 COVID thing has lasted longer than when we were like probably four months into two weeks to flatten the curve type thing. You know. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just, it's extended, you know, and I know people that, um, you know, were working from home and I, I know people that have good jobs that have gotten, you know, laid off now, you know, and like, whereas they weren't worried about it three months ago, they were like, yeah, it's be over in a couple of months. It's no big deal. Um, so I think it's going to, and that's what I think a lot of the industry is, is thinking is that it's going to have a small contraction a little bit next year is what I'm anticipating in our market. But I think overall it will continue to grow, um, you know, We've got a good market. Um, we've got a lot of houses that I mean, I always say that new construction builders keep us remodelers in business, and they've built a lot of houses. So it's you know, they they don't always use the best products, and they take a lot of shortcuts. And you know, there's always going to be a market, and so I think you just have to compete for that pie. You know, whether the pie grows or shrinks, you're just competing inside that to try and get a bigger piece to keep your keep your numbers where they need to be. But yeah, which is really smart. Just to forecast that, bat down the hatch, if you will, to understand your costs and and savings to make sure that you're there to to you know cover anything that may come upon us. You know, and what are you seeing as trends coming up? At, at least in your market, is solar power pretty prevalent out there in Kansas City? Do you deal with that at all with you know roof installs? We don't, and it's it's not. I mean, it's it's there, but it's not a a major uh, issue player. I, I think right now. Um, you know, so I don't really see that. I see on the siding side of things, um, there are some composite sidings like basically uh, PVC siding that is, you know, it's coming. It's it started on the, you know, the New Jersey is, is really big on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's kind of pricey and they haven't perfected the, um, 
you know, logistics of getting it delivered and people stocking it and, and all of that. Um, but I think it's a great product and it has a lot of promise. And once it, you know, more people start using it, it starts growing, I think that's something that's going to you know, be probably a game changer in the next you know, five to 10 years. It's funny at the Builder Show, I've seen more and more of those competitors pop up, you know, and have booths. And I know in New Jersey and other parts of the country, they're using them pretty heavily. So it'll be interesting to see as that evolves and, and how it starts hitting market. We, we've, insta- we've, we've installed some of those products, like um, Royal Select is one that um, is a cellular PVC siding. Um, Everlast is a, uh, like a composite between, you know, fiber cement and uh, PVC composite. Um, we've installed both of those and I like them. It's just, they're priced way higher than what I can get like James Hardy for. And I don't, you know, a lot of people don't want to pay that. And then also the logistics of it. I mean, nobody stocks it. It's, you know, three or four weeks to get the materials. So if you're born short and I got to wait four weeks to get it. And, you know, so th- there's some of the issues there, but they're good products and they're good. For, they're going to be the future. It's just, you know, getting there. Yeah, sometimes it takes time, right? And to hit our markets and make sure it's perfected and so that we're not the guinea pig. So what's up exciting and upcoming for you, Stephen? I think growth. I mean, that's that's where we're headed is just basically, um, you know, trying to add people. We, we built building the foundation, build the reputation. And now it's it's time to, um, you know, time, time to grow and add good people. But, you know, I'm always cautious about that because I don't want to grow at the expense of, you know, quality or, you know, damage that reputation that we've, you know, nurtured for the last five years to build it. And so we'll, we'll do it slowly and we'll do it, uh, we'll do it right. But um, that's, that's what we're having. I love that. Targeted growth is the key. You know, I, I think that's really important because the culture is everything, branding and communication. And you got to make sure that as you grow that everyone's on board, right? With Absolutely. your philosophy. So, and how can our listeners find you? Um, best place is the website, uh, smart exteriors or smart exdpros.com or, um, you know, I do a lot on Twitter, um, at Stephen Glaze. So again, a big thanks to Stephen for joining us today. And as a recap, you know, one of the important focuses, uh, that Stephen gave was how to diversify our marketing. You know, it's really important that we do market our company and brand, and there are so many different platforms and options out there between social media and blogs and website, um, the review sites as well and we need to diversify that and find ways um, to be on all those platforms to find those different demographics and of course understanding that expectation and communication with customers which is key managing a lot of customers is very difficult so the more you communicate the more you're in front of them uh, you know the better prepared you are uh, to serve them and then that can catapult into more business as a company and of course you know with the market changing make sure that you're on top of pricing and um, our good cost of goods you know everything that we're pricing you know for our customers so we're understanding it doesn't matter if you're a gmp or a lump sum or cost plus either way this pricing is going to affect somebody so we need to make sure we're in front of that communicate with our vendors and have those good relationships with them as well so that we know of upcoming price increases and we can be prepared for those so thank you all again for your support really appreciate it please make sure and give us a like comment and subscribe and until next week